This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Whole tshuva thing. There's something I think that's very important, especially before Rosh Hashanah, because a lot of people they listen to shiurim and they learn, and and we all make decisions. And I'm going to try to tell you the reason that most of our decisions don't stick. Um, a lot of stuff that we take on on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, it lasts for about a day or two, if it lasts that long. And uh, and it doesn't stick. And many times we make decisions in life. Yeah, you want to stop smoking. You want to start going to Davin in the morning with the minion. You make decisions in life, things you want to stop, things you want to start, and they don't last. So what's the secret of making your decisions in anything that you decide, but especially in, 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 in spirituality, what um, helps you make things last? So it's so very beautiful in the Noyam Elimelech. Um, Elimelech Melazinsk, a lot of people go to his uh, kever. So whoever goes to his kever, whatever you're down for, you'll be answered. So he brings down from Pashas Vayera very, very interesting questions and some very, very interesting answers. Tonight's show, I think, will be a little shorter than usual. Um, well, I think we'll get to the points that we need to get to. So, he says the following. So, if you, if you go to Pasha Vayera and you start learning about the Akedah, it says, Vayi achad vam e'ele ve'elokim nisas avram v'yom e'ele v'avram v'yom e'hineni. So, and it happened after these things... Belokim nisas Avram and Hashem tested Avram. Bayom elav Avram, bayom ineni. So, what were these things? Achad Avram elav. What were these things? Right. So, if you look before the story, you'll see the story of Avram Avinu had Yitzchak, and on Yitzchak's third birthday, when he stopped nursing, um, or maybe a little bit before that, so he made a party. He made a big party. Abraham Avinu made a big party. And the Satan, the Medrash says, right? He made a very big party. And he invited everyone um, to that party. So, the Satan came that day to the party. And dressed up as a poor person. Abraham Avinu was very busy with the people that were there serving them, helping them. Sari Menu was very busy because people did not believe that she gave birth to the child, to Yitzchak. They thought that, um, that Abraham Avinu was pulling some kind of switch here. And this baby that he claimed was Sarah's wasn't. She was 90 years old. And he was saying about this great miracle, a man can have a child when he's 99. But a woman can't have a child when she's 90. So the world did not believe Avram Avinu. And when he said that my wife Sarah had a child, they said, yeah, he full of baloney. You, you, you married some young girl, and then you slipped the baby to Sarah, and you're making up the story. So it says that Hashem made a miracle, that she, that Sarah Imenu became young, her body became young, and she was able to nurse. But telling the Goyim that, the non-Jews, that she was nursing Yitzchak, nobody believed her. So she so went ahead, the, the, they brought their babies, their infants, and said, yes, yeah, you know, she can nurse, let's hear nurse my baby. So the Medrash says that that day, she nursed, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of, of Goyesha babies. In fact, it's brought down, I don't know where, 
but I heard that um, Gerim, right, non-Jews who become Jews, is either coming from two different places. One, were that these were the these are the children of the children that got nursed by Sari Menu. And since they got nursed by such a big Tadekista, they got holier souls, and therefore later on the children became Gerim. That's I think it's a Zaya maybe, I'm not sure. And then one one other person says that that Gerim are the Goyim when Hashem came around and he offered the Torah to the Goyim. They all said, What's in the Torah? You're not allowed to kill or we don't want it. But not everybody said we don't want it. The majority of Asaf said we don't want it. But there were some that said, the Torah, we'll take it. They their children became Garim. Those are the Garim that we have today. Okay. Anyway, I don't want to get too far off the subject. So the Satan came and he said that he came up to Hashem and he said, Ramavinu is a kafway type. He, he's not thankful, he's not appreciative. Here, you go ahead, you give him a child when he's 99 years old, and he's making a party for everybody, and we know that at a party, what do you, how do you give to Hashem at a party? So it's benching, right? That's thanking for your food. How do you give to Hashem? That you invite poor people to your party. If you invite poor people to your party, that's like giving God a carbon at your party. That's like, mama's giving God a carbon at your party. So, so the Satan said to Hashem, check out this uh, Avram guy. He, he's giving everyone to eat. His wife is busy. And the poor person, I got dressed up as a poor person, he didn't give anything to. So, so he doesn't even give you a carbon. So Hashem said, you're talking, but you're, you're trash talking, you're trash talking Avram Avinu. So he doesn't give a carbon. Not only would he give me a carbon, an animal as a carbon, he would even give me his own son. So the Satan said, yeah, let's see. So that became a challenge. And that was by Yehi Achri Advarim, Hashem, Velikim Nisas Avram. And Hashem tested Avram only after the Satan came up and complained and said, thank you. And said, thank you. And said that, that we wouldn't give, that, 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 that Avram Avinu wouldn't give a carbon. This is very interesting. Okay, so that's what happened. That's by Yehi Achri Advarim. So now came the big, the big test, which we, um, on the high holidays, we repeat it many times. We repeat the, the Akedah. We read it in the laning, the Akedah of, the Akeda of, um, of, of Yitzchak. And that's, of course, we know in, in, the, um, in the Medrash and in the Zayar, it says that, the, that when, whenever Hashem gets angry at the Jewish nation, which is something back to what I spoke about last week and the week before, that whenever God gets angry at the Jewish nation, He looks at the Mizbeach, that Yitzchak, that the Akedah of Yitzchak was on, and He looks at the ashes... The ashes of Yitzchak. It's called, in, in, in Kabbalah, it's called the Efer of Yitzchak. Now everybody in this room knows that there were no ashes of Yitzchak. Yitzchak was not, Yitzchak was not brought up as a carbon. There was another aisle, there was a ram that got caught by his horns. And that's who he brought to the carbon. So what is this, especially when the Jews are in big trouble, like we are now? So, Hashem looks at these ashes that really don't exist because the truth is that Yitzchak um, was never burnt on the Mizbeach. So what ashes is Hashem looking at? They're called Aforosh Yitzchak. We're going to talk about that tonight. So we're talking for the guys that came in a little late. We're actually on time when I was early. Um, we're talking about one of the biggest problems that we have, and that is that many times 
we make decisions that we want to change our lives, and that lasts for about five minutes or a day or two days. And guys who, who did drugs, they give up their drugs and they throw it in the garbage. And how many times I've seen guys flush marijuana down the toilet, and that's it. Rabbi Wallstein here, I'm taking my stuff. They don't call it stuff. I forgot what the word is called. My whatever. My package, my, my whatever, my stash, right? That's the word. How do you know that? I don't know. Okay, anyway, but you know, Watson, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you that I really mean business. And we go to the bathroom and he takes his stash and he puts it in the toilet and he flushes it down the toilet and he's like, you don't even know how much that's worth. And he takes his cocaine and throws it down the toilet and takes his oxycotton and he pours it down the toilet. And he's like, you don't know what I just threw down the toilet, Rabbi. It's all my savings and everything. I'm done. It's finished. It's over. And I'm like, I give him a clap on the back. I'm like, you're the man, and we made the change. And, and, and in the beginning, I got, I got fooled. And every time this happened, I walked away and I said, wow, I got this guy to change his life, and he's not going to be a drug addict anymore. And walked out of there like, Rabbi Walston, you made it happen. You know, you get all these rehabs, $12,000 a month. They can't get these guys clean. And just five minutes with Wallstein, we're in the toilet. We got the stuff flushed down the toilet. And I'm like, always like, whoa, you know, you, know, you pulled it off. And then I learned over the years that, yeah, that's very nice, and that's that moment that moment, that flash of, of clarity and that moment of, of excitement when you want to make that move. And then reality sets in. And two weeks later, the guy's back on drugs, minus all the goods that he flushed down the toilet. And he's like upset at me. I'm like, you know, uh, now I don't have the stuff and now I got to go buy more stuff. And, and like, he's, he's all upset. And I, I, I thought, you stopped. Look at that. You had that moment. You know, you made a promise in the toilet that you're never going to do this again. And, and it doesn't work. And the question is, how does one... How does one take an idea of change, which everyone wants to change, and we all have these, these, these hot moments in our heads of, uh, I'm changing, that's it, it's over. You know, when you're like, Shalom, you know, I, I know a guy that wrapped around the tree this summer, you know, because he was drinking, and that was it. That was his, it was his sign from God. I'm done. I walked away from this accident. I was drunk. There were no cops around. I didn't get arrested. No one knows what happened. Hashem saved me. I am done. It lasted two weeks. That was it. So everyone, we all have this in our life, you know, that we're done, we're changing. We're not able to hold on to it. And, and I guess every Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we go through this. Because on Yom Kippur, you stand the achet that I spoke, that I wasn't supposed to speak, achet uh, on the sins of that I used my eyes and I looked at things I wasn't supposed to look, right? And, and, and thoughts of girls and all these things we say in the achet, they're all there, right? And then three months later, you know, you're on winter break in Florida, and all the achets are walking down the beach, and you're over on every single achet that you say, Yom Kippur, there's no way you're going to have an achet, and you're totally acheted out, right? So, so what happened? But really on Yom Kippur, you weren't kidding around. It's not like you get up there and you say like, you know, okay, I'm not going to look at girls anymore. I really will, but I'm not going to, you know, but I really will. You're not fooling Hashem. You can't fool Hashem. You really mean it. That's it. I'm done. I'm, I'm not a baby anymore. I don't need this anymore. You know, I want to... I want to go out on a date. I want to meet the right girl. I want to bring up a family. I want to do the right thing. Cute story this week. What a cute story, boy-girl story this week. So, so um, just make sure I come back to my original idea, that I don't lose it. So uh, the, this couple came to me this week, very young couple, just married, like four or five months, which I very much need to start. We're going to start, I think, a school to teach boys how to be husbands and a school to teach girls how to be wives. Because I really don't think that anyone gets a training. You, you know, you go to yeshiva, nobody trains you how to be a husband. And, and a girl goes to school, she goes to seminary in Israel. Nobody, t- you, know, you know, guys are much worse than girls. But I'll tell you why. Because guys are, we're, most of us go to yeshiva, we go away from home. So we don't even have a home life. Like at 14, we're, we're, in, we're in school. 
So your home life are the six guys that are in your room. You don't want to treat your wife like you treat the six guys that are in your room, right? That's for sure. And there's no, so, so, you know, you come from a dormitory with a bunch of guys, and then all of a sudden you got this, you know, so you got to hear this. So, so she sits down, I always let the girl talk first. So I'm like, you guys look like, you know, you should be okay. Like, what's going on? So she says, he doesn't care about me. They're married maybe six months. I'm like, uh-oh, that's not, you know, that's not a good start. So I'm like, why did you think he cares about you? So she throws this total thing out, you know. She says, my friend's husband makes, makes his wife a coffee every morning. My husband, at six months, he has not made me a coffee. So he doesn't really care about me. I'm like, okay. So now let's it's his turn. I say to him, I'm trying to show you how, how they just don't understand each other. So I, so I turned to him and I said, she's right. I mean, like six months, one coffee, two coffees, five coffees, <laughs> something, you know, bring, you know, wake up in the morning, you go downstairs, make a coffee, bring it up to your wife. You know, I would think like if you definitely, it's a Kalvachayma. Madach, you don't do it the first six months, forget about the rest of your life, right? So, so, so this guy really meant what he, what he answered me. He really meant it from his heart. He said, well, Austin, I don't understand. I don't understand. He says, you know, I drink a coffee every single day. I have never asked her to make me a coffee. So I really thought I'm a good husband because a wife, what is she there for? She's there to cook for you and make food for you. And, and, and here I am married. And in the dorm, I made my own coffee. And now I said, you know what? I'm not going to bother her every day, tell her, you know, when I come home from shul, make me a coffee. I make my own coffee. So he thought that being a good husband, right, is not making the other person make a coffee for you. And she's saying, being a good husband, I don't care who makes the coffee for you, but no one's making a coffee for me. So what, where is this based on? So I had this discussion with him. It was very silly. Based on in yeshiva, when he, when he was in a dormitory, right, he made his own coffee. But he never made a coffee for another guy in the room. He never made the other guy's bed. He never straightened the other guy's shoes out. He never said, oh, by the way, Chaim, across the way, give me your laundry, I'll wash it for you today. Right? So, so I mean, who does that in the dormitory? Or who, who thinks that way? So he thinks that being a good guy is it not making you make me the coffee. So there was like such a, there's such a misunderstanding. So you have to understand, he comes from one place and she comes from another place. And of course, her father also probably makes coffee for her mother. That's what she sees at home. So I think there's a lot of work that we need to do. We need to open up a, a school for Hassanim to teach them like guys from when they're 20 years old, uh, what it means, you know, because guys and girls are very different. They think very differently. And now everyone's just throwing them together and it's just, it's just bedlam. It's just, it's just chaos, total chaos. So maybe we'll open up a yeshiva, invite all the guys to come to this new yeshiva, you know, once a week, twice a week, to learn how to be a husband. And, of course, we're not going to let them get away with murder. We're going to teach the girls how to be a wife. Okay, anyway, what does that have to do with this? I have no idea. Anyway, so we're talking about decisions. We're talking about decisions. So, so the question is, how does one make a decision and keep it? How are you going to come this Yom Kippur and whatever you take on yourself? And I have the same problem. I want you to know I have the same problem. I take on something Yom Kippur. I always take on something small, something little. I took on that I'm not going to talk when I have my tillin on. Right? It's not the, not the biggest thing in the world. In other words, even not during davening. I don't talk during davening. But even after davening, if a guy comes over to me while I'm wearing my tillin, you know, my, my, my Rashi tillin, I'm not talking to anyone with my Rashi tillin. So that was great. But you know how many times I forget? The guy comes over to me after davening, I have my Rashi tillin on. Hi, Rob Wallace, he can ask you a question. And, and I talk. And, 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 you know, Yom Kippur, I was like, this I'm going to keep. I'm going to be sure that I'm wearing it. So, so, 
how does a person, when he makes these decisions, how do you keep it? When a guy flushes down his stuff, his stash, how come two weeks later he's right back out? He just flushed $500 worth of goods down. We can learn, everything's in the Torah. <clears throat> so let me, let me, because this is very important when you do tshuva. We're going to learn about tshuva, but if it doesn't last, then what's the tshuva worth, right? So listen very carefully. So, so by the, so by, it says that he achrei right? So the Hashem tested Avram, and listen to what Avram did. So, so Avram, Baruch Hu told him that I want you to go, and I want you to bring Yitzchak as a carbon. Look at this pas. Look at the pasuk. Okay, Hashem said um, to Avram. Avram said, "I'm here. Hineni, I'm here. What can I do for you?" Hashem said, "Kachno." See, God always says, "Please." Manners come from heaven. Kachno. Hashem says, "Please." Not kach. He's God. He doesn't have to say please, right? He says, "Please." Kachno. Please take as bincha your son. Your only one. Hashem really like went into his guts, right? right? Your son, your only one, that you love. By the way, this was really to, to tell him that it was Yitzchak. Because as um, Bincha, your son, he's really your only one, Asher Hafta, the only one that you really love. Es Yitzchak, Yitzchak. Go to go to the land of Maria, you know, where, where, where the Kosam Arabi is. Bring him up there for a carbon oila. Which is completely burnt. Al to the certain to the exact mountain in the Eretz Maria, in the land of Maria. Actually, was Har Maria, where, where the base of Mitzvah was built. which I'm going to which I'm going to tell you to do. Now, listen carefully. So, fine. So now he made a decision. Avraham Avinu made a decision that he's going to do this. He's going to sacrifice his only son. So first of all, he got up early in the morning. He didn't say. I don't know, I'm going to do it. Yes, Hashem, but I'm going to get up late. Maybe Hashem will change his mind. I'm going to take it slow. You never know. First thing when you make a decision is to jump on that decision. Don't push it off. A lot of guys who want to stop smoking, it's like after Yontif. I have this all the time. I, I, I need a diet very badly. You may not see that, but you see that they brought me two drinks tonight, a water and a Diet Coke. When I was skinnier, they brought me regular Coke. So, without insulting me, the guy brought me Diet Coke. Means like, Ray Wallstein, you gotta be a little bit on a diet. But, I'll tell you something, mostly, you know, you guys, uh, you're not, some of you are married, some of you are not. But, but, but women, one of the main subjects that women deal with is diets. Very big subject, diet. This diet, that diet, this diet, that diet. Us guys, you don't like me, I'm fat, too bad on you, I don't care. I'm not dieting. Right, we don't care. So, on a diet, so every diet starts on Monday. So on the weekend, right, when the person decides after Shabbos, the guy ate cholent and kogo and kishka and, 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 and pacha and herring. He stuffed himself by every kiddish. He is, feels like one big grease pot, right? And comes like Sunday morning, he's like, oh, I can't play ball anymore. I can't breathe going up the steps. And this happens to me all the time, right? So Sunday morning, you're, you're really stuffed. And you decide... Sunday morning, that's it. It's over. I'm not, I can't do this anymore. Every shop is I gained 12 pounds. I can't do this. I can't have three different kinds of cholent and two different kinds of kishka and then kokosh cake afterwards and I, I can't do this anymore. So that's it. Sunday morning, diet. Now, that works Sunday morning because anyway, you have heartburn. You're in the bathroom for five hours Sunday morning. Just getting rid, getting, you know, dealing with the Shabbos. But by Sunday night, you're starving again. So you're like, 
Well, I said I'm going to get on a diet this morning, but it's Sunday. You don't start a diet on the weekend. Right? It doesn't make sense. So I'm going to eat over the leftovers from Shabbos, the cholent, the leftover cholent, and half a challah with mayonnaise, you know, with all the other food that was left over, the matzo balls and the soup and everything else. And tomorrow, Monday, is when I'm going to start my diet. And you're like, Meshuggah, no. If you start Sunday, you don't eat all that stuff, then Monday you'll be four pounds less already when you start the diet. But what happens is, a person that does that, a person that makes a decision, I'm going to diet, but not now. I'm going to push it off. Monday, oh my goodness, I forgot. This happens to me all the time. I have a bris Monday morning. You have to eat bread by, by a bris, right? A bagel and lox and cream cheese. And there goes the Monday morning diet. And then Tuesday night it's a wedding. You got to wash. It's a sudas mitzvah. And then Wednesday it's a shavu brachis. And you know what? Forget the diet already. So, but this is all decisions in life. All decisions in life. If you make a decision, whatever it is, you need to rock and roll right after you make that decision. You can't say, I'll stop smoking in two weeks. I'll stop smoking in four weeks. I'll stop gambling in, uh, you know, after the, I'll stop gambling after my, after my next win. You'll never stop. So, what happened here, and everything's in the Torah. It's not, it's not right Wallstein. What happened over here, if you look at, so here is the biggest de- decision of Ramavinu ever made. He is going, it's not a pro, it's not a good, it's not a, something he's happy about, even though he was, it wouldn't make you happy that you have to sacrifice your own son, right? But what did he do? The Torah tells us, he didn't say, oh man, Hashem said I got to start tomorrow to take him to the mountain. Hashem didn't say I have to start at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'll set my alarm clock for 10. Then we'll have breakfast together. Then we'll read the New York Times. And then we'll go check out the mountain. No. If you make a decision that you're going to do something, you have to immediately, start immediately. Okay. He saddled his own donkey. He didn't wait for anyone to saddle it for him. This was, he was on a mission. He was going to do this himself. And he took the two Na'arav um, with him. Now comes the part I want to talk about. And he went ahead that morning and he chopped wood. Ramavinu chopped wood on the spot that morning in order to have wood for the fire that he's going to burn his son on. So he got up early in the morning to chop wood. He got up, and he went to the place that Hashem told him to do. So the first thing he did was that when you make a decision, when you make a decision, in the beginning of your decision, you already, and this we spoke about last week, it's very connected to last week's share, the beginning of Elul and the end of Elul and how you build the top floor before you build the bottom floor. So and that you first build the top floor. He made a decision, I'm shechting my son. That was the decision. That was the top floor. Now, he thought to himself, I got to... I got to have wood. I got I to put them on wood. I got to burn them, right? I got to burn the carbon. So the first thing he did was he prepared for the destination. In other words, the GPS, right? The GPS was already printed in where I'm going, but I'm also prepared where I'm coming from. So I'm prepared to where I'm going. He already chopped the wood. Now, he didn't have to chop the wood because Haro Maria is a mountain. There's a lot of trees on the mountain. So he could have just gone to the mountain and chop the wood there. Now that he chopped the wood here, he's going to have to schlep it. And it's a lot of wood. More than a couple of twigs. He built them as bayach. So why would Avram Avinu, he's a smart man, you have a three-day trip. Why would you chop a bunch of wood in the morning, pile it on your camels, schlep it for three days, when the place that you're going to has a lot of wood? Okay. Let's go on. 
It's very, it's a, it's a beautiful insight, and it really works in life. Okay. Vayamashlishi the third day. Vayisav Ram is Eino. Vayas and Makom Marachok. He's so far away. Okay. Vayikach Avram is Atzei Ha'Oila. This is very important. This pasuk. Avram took. It seems to be that they're very busy with this wood, right? This wood. Who cares about the wood? The, the, the Torah is talking about a father taking his child, his only child, that he waited, well, it's not only had Yishmael also, but his, Klai Yisrael, that he waited, his only child with Surrey men. He waited, he's 99 years old. Right? He has this child. He gives him a bris milah. Hashem tells him from this child is coming Klai Yisrael. Right? Who cares when he chopped the wood? It's like the details seem to be more important than what's about to happen. He got up early in the morning, he chopped the wood, and now, he took this wood, we need to know that. He didn't take the wood and put it on his back, right? He left the camels, and he took the wood, and he put it on Yitzchak's back. Why do we need to know this detail, that he put the wood on Yitzchak's back? Okay? And Avram Avinu took, as for Eish, the fire, and the knife, and they went together. So when you look at this picture, this is what you have going up this mountain. You have Avram Avinu with fire and knife, and for some reason, you have Yitzhak Avinu with the wood. Why wasn't Yitzhak taking the fire and the knife, and Avram taking the wood? Anybody ever think that? Why does the Torah tell us exactly who's carrying what? Who cares? The bottom line is when they get on the top of the mountain, he takes them, he puts them, he ties them down, he takes it to Shechtim, and, 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 and the last second they stop him. Here's the knife. Does anyone in this room care who carried the knife? Who carried the wood? Who carried the fire, the flint? We don't care. Okay. We're going to see why. Now. He said, hi, Dad, what's going on? Yeah, it's me. Now Yitzchak makes a comment and he says, I see there's fire and there's wood. You have flint and you have wood. I don't know why he didn't say he saw the knife. It's a good question. I'm just thinking about that now. Maybe Avram hid the knife. I don't know. I see the, I see the, I see the fire. I see the wood. Where's the seh? Where's the lamb? Where's the sacrificial lamb? So now you think he's the father, right? What would Avraham Avinu say? Avraham Avinu would say, you're the lamb. That's what, I mean, he's not a liar, right? You're the lamb. You are the lamb. You're looking for a lamb, there ain't no lamb. You're the lamb. But Yom Avraham, and Avraham answers, Elohim Yerulay Hashem is going to show us the lamb for the oil. What do you mean Hashem is going to show us the lamb? You are, he should have said, yes, look, you are the lamb. Hashem is going to show us the lamb. He had no more questions. Ramavino didn't answer the question, guys. Why, why all of a sudden? And they went together, and that was it. They came to the place. And they, together means that they went with the same mindset, right? What do you mean they had the same mindset? He didn't answer the question. Here's a little. Here's a boy. He's asking his father a clean-cut question. We're going up to this mountain. You, you're going to do a sacrifice. You got a knife. You got wood. You got fire. Where's the lamb? Good question. 
Avraham Avinu, instead of answering, you're the lamb, says, oh, we'll see. And all of a sudden, for some reason, Yitzhak accepted that answer. He should have said, what do you mean? Where's the lamb? Hashem is going to show us. Where's the lamb? All of a sudden, he would seem to be very at peace. So the Noyam Elimelech says a very deep, very deep answer. And it answers all these questions. He says that when you make a decision in life to do something, the, the decision is called the machshava. The decision that a person makes is his thought process. If you don't follow the thought process immediately with a maisa, with doing something, it won't last. So Avram Avinu taught us here. I have this great thought. It's really important for Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. It's like the most important thing. Because if you don't carry out, if, you, if, you, if you're two weeks after Sukkot doing everything the same, then, then, then you gain nothing from all these holy days that are coming, right, that we prepare ourselves for. You gain, you gain nothing. You gain nothing. What do you gain if you flush down your drugs and then a week later, thank you very much, what do you gain if you flush down your drugs and a week later you're doing drugs? What did you gain from that decision besides losing money and maybe being clean for a week if it lasts that long? So Avraham Avinu taught us here, when a person makes a decision, you've got to do an action that's connected to that decision. You've got to do something that's connected to that decision. So what did he do over here? He went ahead and he, he woke up in the morning and he said, I made a decision that I'm going to check my son. I am right now going, even though there's wood on the, on the hire, no, I have to do something. So I'm going to chop the wood already. I'm going to prepare. I'm not going to just have it in my mind that I want to do something. I'm going to physically prepare something in this world that I'm going to physically do. It's beautiful what he says in MLL. And then, for the next three days, how do I know I'm not going to change my mind? Right? He made a crazy decision. God came to me. He's like, yes. But how do I know I'm going to, I'm going to keep those, the, the, the mice that I did, the thing that I did, I'm going to keep it in my face for the next three days. So I'm going to cut the wood, and I'm going to schlep the wood. And every time I look at the wood, I'm going to connect the decision that I'm going to do, the akeda, to the wood that I cut, to the mice that I did. And he said, and Abraham Avinu said, if I would not cut the wood, and I would just say, okay, we're going to bring you as a carbon, we'll cut the wood when we get there, we would have never got there, said the Narmeli Malach. He would have changed his mind halfway through. Because it was just a thought. A thought process, right? Without, without an action, it doesn't do anything. I know thousands of guys that wanted to change. But they never did anything about it. If you don't do anything about it, it doesn't happen. The thought is not enough. Machshava is not enough. You've got to take a step. You have to do something. My great idea, or novel that I did for girls. What's the big idea? Right? It started off with 16 girls. Today we have 3,000 girls. I'm going next week to Cleveland. I'm opening an Ornava in Cleveland. We have one in L.A. We have one in Florida. It's, it's crazy. It's spreading all over the world. They want to do an Eretz Yisrael. Right? So, so, so people ask me, like, how did you get this great idea? It's not a great idea, guys. It's a big deal. I, one day I said to myself, girls don't have a place to go to at night to learn. Boys have night seder. Right? They, can, they have chavuses, and they go to the gym to play ball. Girls don't play ball. Girls don't, don't have a night say There's no yeshiva for them. We're going we're gonna to make a place for them to learn. Now, that was thought, right? The next morning, I made phone calls, and I said, let's do it. I need a school. I need someone to run it. I need to raise money. I right away got into action, and it happened. 
Do you know how many people have come to me in the last seven years and said, Wildstein, you stole my idea. You stole my idea. I'm like, when did you have this idea? 15 years ago. I'm like, so what did you do about it? It was developing. If it's developing, it's never going to happen. If you, if you, if you have an idea, I'm not trying to talk about myself. I mean, I, I learned this from my father. My father was very much, took it from here to here, from your head to your hands, your machshava to your maisa. When he made a decision, he, he, he ran with it. And that's what a person has to do. And then, now I have a high school. Why do you have a high school? I met a guy. He said, we need a school for girls on the street. Da, 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 da. The next day, I made a phone call. I'm like, okay, we're doing this? He goes, you can't be serious. I just mentioned it to you. You can't be serious. I'm like, if I don't do it today, if I don't start doing it today, it's just not going to happen. And a lot of people, right, could have been a Bill Gates. And a lot of people could have been an Einstein. A lot of people could have been all these great, and you're like, why couldn't I think of that? You know what? Many times you thought of it. But you said like, eh, next week, two weeks, five weeks. By the time you decide five weeks ago, the store that you wanted to open, it's open. Because some guy took his idea and put it in, and used the makshava into Misa. So Avram Avinu, what he did is, he did a Misa. He immediately cut the wood. He immediately cut the wood. And once he cut the wood, he did a Misa. That was connected to, to his Mesiris Nefesh, to his thought process. And, there, and he schlepped that wood with him till the last second. Because he knew that he had to keep thinking about what I did to make this change. Therefore, a person who, who what really wants to change his life, you have to do something to change your life. You know, if you, if you watch DVDs, and you're watching DVDs that you shouldn't be watching, or you shouldn't be watching DVDs at all, so one of the boy, my boys, one of my boys, who two years ago, was by my share when I was talking about the waste of time of DVDs and the filth and all the other garbage, right? So everybody heard the shear. Everybody heard the shear. Everybody heard the same shear. One guy changed his life. Five weeks later, six weeks later, I asked by the shear, I'd like to know how many guys do not have, watch DVDs anymore. There was one guy in my share that changed. I was talking to, to 80 guys. I gave the same schmooze to 80 guys. Why did only one guy change? Because that guy went ahead, took all his DVDs, and he had about 140 of movies, originals, and he threw them in my chametz when I burnt it, which was the day after my shear. He threw it in the fire and watched it. They burn, really. They're flammable. Be careful. But he threw it into the... Into, and we watched him burn, and he never, ever watched the DVD again. Because he didn't just have a makshava that he's going to make a change. He did something about it. And this is what happened over here. So Yitzchak Avinu said to his father, I see everything that's prepared, but where is the seh? The seh, right, which was Yitzchak, right, I didn't do anything yet. I didn't do any action yet. So it's only a mindset that I'm going to become a carbon, but I haven't done anything yet. So when did, why is it called Akedas Yitzchak? It should be called Akedas Avraham. Avraham was the one that was sacrificing his son. Yitzchak wasn't sacrificing himself. What does Akedah mean? Anyone here know what Akedah means? Akedah means the tying, not sacrifice. Akedah means to tie, to tie down. Because Yitzchak told his father Avraham, listen, when you shecht me, when you take that knife, I'm going to get scared. And when you try to, to, to shecht me, I'm going to move. And if I move, you're going to miss my neck. And you're going to kill me with the wrong shechita. And I'm going to be a mum. And I'm not going to be kosher. 
So Yitzchak told his father, I am giving up. I'm a serious nefesh. I'm giving up my life. But that's not enough. Machshav of thought is not enough. I got to do something. Tie me down. That's the Misa. I'm going to let you tie me. I'm going to put my hands together, my feet together, and tie me down. And by tying me down, that's the Misa. I allowed myself to be tied. Now, Hashem, now I'm a seh. And that's Akedah Yitzchak. And that's what we tell Hashem on every Rosh Hashanah. We remind Hashem about Akedah Yitzchak. What are we reminding about Akedah Yitzchak? We're reminding Hashem that I'm not just giving you words on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. I'm not just Machshavah standing there, I want to be a good guy, I'm going to be a good guy. We're also doing Akedah Yitzchak. The Akedah Yitzchak is the action. We have to take on something that we're going to do in action. So you know what? I, mean, I don't know. Maybe with my tillin on, I have to do something else to remind me that I have my tillin on. I'm not allowed to talk. You know, to give me a simon of some kind of simon that I'm not allowed to talk. Whatever you accept on yourself, you have to take a step. You have to do something. If you don't do anything, it, it just doesn't work. And the same thing with a diet. With a diet. Guy goes on a diet. You can't have cake in your, in your refrigerator and, and potato chips in your, in your pantry because if you don't take those potato chips and that stuff and get it out of your house... Guess what? It's not going to last. You got to do a mice. And that's very important. Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Whatever you take, it, don't take something too big. Because the Yetzirah likes to give you big stuff. And we all believe in streaks. We're into streaks. Everything is streaks by us, you know? Guys, you know, uh, you know the story. I had a guy that was going to Minion for 10 years and never missed a Minion. Then he missed one Minion and he wasn't, I didn't see him in Shul no more. I'm serious. It's a true story. Because we're into streaks. In baseball, we like a streak. And, and everything that we do, you know, I did it a hundred times. I wake up every time. I never miss. And then when you miss one time, it's over. And it's very silly. It's very silly. I told this guy. I said, he wasn't a minion. I called him up. I said, what happened to you? He says, I broke my streak. Now I don't need to go to minion anymore. Because the whole thing was, I never miss minion. You miss minion, so go the next day. You miss chakras, so go to the next chakras. You know, you, <laughs> I know people on diets, they lost 60, 80 pounds. They thin like a rail. And then five years later, they're 500 pounds heavier, and I'm like, what happened to you? And it's like, well, you know, I was on this diet, I was great, no carbs, I was Atkins, I was doing it, and then I went to this party, and my friends talked me into having a piece of cake, and ever since I had that piece of cake, I haven't stopped eating cake. <laughs> Why? This is because I broke my diet. So you broke your diet, Meshuggah, so now you're going you're gonna to gain 500 pounds? That's the Sahara. We all fall, everybody falls. Everybody falls. If you take on something and you fall, so you fell. So you fell. So, so that means it's over? That means you can't get back up? Get back up and do tshuva and, and continue because you lost $100. I don't think anyone who loses $100 in the stock market takes all his money and, and burns it because I lost $100. When it comes to money, we don't do that, right? You try to make it back. Sometimes you, you, you average down and you lose even more. You average up, you average down. You try to make the money back that you lost. But it comes in life, the guy has this thing set up, you know, I'm, I have Shmir say, I don't look at anything. And then one time, he go, his friends get him to go to a movie. And all of a sudden, he's going to a movie every night. That's silly. You made a mistake. We all fall. Everybody falls. We're human beings. We're not malachim. Malachim don't fall. We fall. As human beings, Hashem expects us to fall. But it's what happens after you fall. That's what counts. A child, if he would fall and stay down, he would never walk. God created a human child to teach us that you first have to crawl, and then you stand up, and you fall, and you fall, and you fall, and then you finally just stand, and then you take a step, and it's scary, and then you take two steps, and then you're able to walk, and then you're able to run. God doesn't create animals like that. They, the minute they're born, they're running. He created us like that, so we should understand that in, in spirituality, when we grow, and, and know that everyone in this room is trying to grow on their level, yes, you're going to fall, and you're going to trip, and you're going to bang your knees, and you've got to get back up again. 
If you really want to do it, you got to get back up again. And soon, all of a sudden, you won't be falling that much anymore. You'll be falling less. Hey, adults fall too. I saw someone fall on Avenue J yesterday. You know, not only kids fall. A woman tripped. I saw her fall. She was an adult. She was in her 50s, 60s. I don't know, whatever. They call that Salah. Whatever. She fell. She tripped. Adults trip too. Not just kids trip. The question is, what do you do? If you're very badly injured, you need someone to help you get up. If you fell very bad, you need to call your Rebbe. Say, oh my goodness, I fell really bad, Rebbe. I need Hatzala. I, I can't get up. But most of the time, you don't fall that bad. You fall bad enough, you can get up on your own. And you do tshuva, and you get back, and you stand back, and you continue walking. And don't think of anyone in this room tripped and didn't get hurt. You just lay on Avenue J the rest of the day. Hey, I fell. I'm getting up. You know, that's a silly person. Get up and continue doing what you have to do. Yitzhahara is very brilliant. He's very, very brilliant. He comes to you when you're bad, and he tells you you're so bad that Hashem is never going to forgive you. And when you're good, you're so good, you can sin once in a while. He plays both sides. He's brilliant. He's a malach. But we're not so stupid either. We need, be, we, need, we need to be able to see. We need to be able to have clarity. So I think that what we get from the Akedah, which is very, very important, is that, that we need to do an action. When you have a good thought, grab that thought and do something about it. And, and whatever you do about it, carry it with you so that you, you, know, so that you remember. Whether I, I think a very good idea for everyone in this room, I don't understand, I'll never understand. I, I, you know, again, who am I? I'm not a judge. But, um, you know, people do have errors. And we need to do a lot of mitzvahs. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to tell my black and white story tonight. Maybe we'll see my most favorite Rosh Hashanah story. But um, we need a lot of mitzvahs. And the easiest mitzvah, I think, that exists in the world is wearing tzitzahs. You've got to be out of your mind not to wear tzitzahs. You put it on. It's under your shirt. You wear it. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to think about it a whole day. You put it on in the morning. You wear it a whole day. Every second, you do the math, how many seconds there are in a day. Every second, you get a mitzvah. It's a freebie. It's, 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 it's like, it has, like Lahavdo being in Vegas, pulling the slot thing, the, the, the dollar coins just keep coming. And you know, you pull the truck by and you fill up the 18-wheeler and the dollars just keep coming. And you pull up another 18-wheeler and like, so, so if, if you don't pull up the 18-wheeler, right, and you just let all the money pour on the floor and you don't pick it up, people think you're out of your mind. So like, you know, mitzvah learning tire is hard. You have to sit down, you have to make time, you have to think, you got to work, putting on tefillin, some people don't like it, it bothers them, it's only the Sahara. Some of us are born in a month that there's a very big Yitzhahara against tefillin, so we have a very big struggle. Some guys tefillin, no problem. Some people are born in certain months and it's a very big struggle because they didn't wear tefillin last time they were here and they're back in their Gilgal and they're having a problem putting on tefillin and it bothers them and they forget and it's puzzle and they don't care. And some guys put on tefillin, it's like, like no problem, right? But tefillin is a mitzvah. You put it on for an hour in the morning. If you, if you wear tefillin that long, tzitzes the whole day. Why wouldn't someone put on tzitzes? And today they make it so light. It's not like you don't have to wear wool heavy tzitzes. They make it so light you don't even know that you're wearing it. It's pure Yetzirah that any Jewish kid doesn't wear tzitzes. It's stupidity. I'm sorry. It's a freebie. It's like they're going to tell you in Shemaya, I'm like, like, hello, Hashem gave you one mitzvah, right? Wearing a yarmulke on your head is not a mitzvah in the Torah. It's a minig to wear a yarmulke. And you can wear a baseball cap. And you can wear a turban. And you just have to cover, you can wear anything you want. You just have to cover your head to remember Ochot Malchus Shemayim. But that's not a Daraisa. It's not a mitzvah from the Torah. It's a mitzvah to Rabbanon. Right? Wearing a yarmulke. You have guys that wear a yarmulke all day, but they don't wear tzitzes. So what are you doing? I mean, not that you should take off your yarmulke because you're not wearing tzitzes. That's not my share tonight. Oh, Rabbi Wallace said, so I'll take off my yarmulke too. No, that's not what I'm saying. But you can put on tzitzes. 
12 bucks. And then sometimes they have you buy two, you get the third one free, and you sit there a whole day. I'm sitting here a whole day. I'm not even thinking about it, and, and it's here. And you know what? Once in a while, it's good. It's good for your nerves. You can, like, play with them like this, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. That's, and you can look at them sometimes. You know, the Gemara has that famous story, which I remember when I learned there when I was younger. It, like, just blew me out of the sky. The famous story where this guy um, went up. There was this, this, this guy in yeshiva. And it's, not, it's an amazing story. This guy, it's a Gemara. It's a Gemara. It's not a, it's not a fairy tale. It's a Gemara. The Gemara says that there was this um, woman of ill repute. So I knew I'd get everybody's interest. See that? All the guys that were like, what? A woman of ill repute. I don't have to explain that to the boys that are not here. Women who uh, sell themselves for money. So um, she was, the Gemara says, the most beautiful woman in the world. And to get to be with her, it took two, three years reservation. To get to be with her. It's a Gemara. It's not funny. Two, three years or longer to get to be with her. And she, she sat on a, on a bed that was a hundred steps hundred golden steps, whatever, a hundred steps to get to her bed. Okay? And it cost crazy money to be with her. There was this one guy in yeshiva, right, who heard about it, and he just flipped out. He just decided he's got to be with her. So he saved up all his money. This was a tana, I think, a tana, or whatever. He saved up all his money, and he traveled. He made his reservations, two, three, waited two, three years, going out of his mind, right? And he traveled to, to be with her. She had that hour put aside for him. On the bottom step was a servant. He gave her, he paid what he had to pay, crazy amount of gold din- dinners, right? And he, and he climbed the steps. And I'm not sure if the Gemara said, I think every step he had to take off a, a, an article of clothing. I don't remember exactly the whole story, but every few steps he had to take off an article of clothing. And then he got to his sitzes. And when he took off his sitzes, the strings hit him in the face, the Gemara says. And when it hit him in the face, he said, what am I doing? Am I out of my mind? I'm going to the top of these steps to do an Avera like this. What am I crazy? I'm, I'm coming from a yeshiva. He immediately took all his clothing, put it back on, ran out. The guy at the guard said, hey, where are you going? You know, you didn't, you, you didn't go upstairs. He says, I'm out of here. And he left. Come She's waiting on top, right, for this guy who paid all this money, who made the reservations two years before. She hears that he paid downstairs. She's waiting. He doesn't show up. She comes down, she gets dressed, she comes down the stairs. She asks the guard, what's going on over here? She says, I don't know. The guy took off. Took off running. She's like, it can't be that there's something else in the world that's more beautiful than me. It can't be that such a thing exists. There's another woman that he ran. To. It can't be. He gave me up for another woman. I got to find out. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna follow him. So she gets on her camel or her horse, whatever it is, and she follows him. And she sees he, that he goes into this building, right? Yeshiva. She walks to the building. And the, the, his Rebbe, the, whatever, the Tana was there. And she asks him, what's going on in that building? And he says, they're learning. She says, well, one of your boys came. Well, I'm sure he got into trouble for that, but whatever. <laughs> one of your boys came to visit me. And he dropped all this money to be with me. And he, and he left. I can't understand what could be more beautiful than me? So the Rebbe said, the building that he went to is more beautiful than you. Our Torah is more beautiful than you. She said, I need to talk to him. So he came out of the base medrash, it says to Gemara, and she said to him, you paid already, you were there, I don't understand. And he said, something happened that reminded me who, who I am, 
and I realized that I was giving up this beautiful thing that I had, which is the Torah, and, and as beautiful as you are, I'm not willing to give that up for you. And the Gemara says that she was Megayer, because she could not get over that there was something more beautiful in the world, and whatever that was, she wanted it. She was Megayer, and I don't, you see, I was, I'm scared to tell over the story, because then guys get an idea that, you know, uh, we'll meet this girl and she'll be Megayer. And, and she wasn't Megayer for him. She was Megayer for the Torah. And in the end, and that's why it bothered me as a kid, um, in the end, he married her. Yeah, that's not what bothered me. What it bothered me in the end of the story, that, that, that he was willing to do such a bad thing, and he got her at the end of the story, too. That's not fair, right? <laughs> but, but that's what the Gemara says. He ended up marrying her, and I think they had very holy, holy children, whatever. But what saved him? His sister saved him. His sitzes saved him. He took off his sitzes. When he took off his sitzes, it reminded him who, who he is. It's such an easy mitzvah. Anyone who doesn't wear tzitzes should know in his head with every excuse you're thinking, it's all pure Yetzirah. Because this kills the Yetzirah. That God loves us so much that he gave us a mitzvah that is like a present that he gave us that every single second of the day we get a mitzvah. So there's two things you need to do. You need to wear tzitzes and you also need to make sure they're kosher. Because a lot of us put our tzitzes in the wash and it comes out all fuzzy and all together and the strings are ripped. And so you have to make sure your tzitzes are kosher because it's mamish. You don't have to think about it. You have to think about it. It's weird all day. That's all you have to do. So I, I would think that a very good thing to take on. We're now approaching Rosh Hashanah. We're 10 days before. And you'll hear from the story I'm going to close with how important every mitzvah can be. That um, I think a good thing to take on. And we have tzitzes in somebody's car if anyone wants. Okay, after this year. Good, very good. You have new tzitzes? How many pairs? Fifteen. Fifteen. See, I didn't even, I didn't even know that. So, so my, my, this is my share tonight. If you really, if you really have the machshava that you want to wear tzitzes, then you have to, after this year, go get a pair of tzitzes. That is cutting down the tree. That's what Avram did. You've got to cut down the tree. You've got to take the action. And if you take the action and put those tzitzes on tonight, they'll be on you forever. They'll be on you forever. They bury you in a talus. In the end, you're going to wear one anyway, darling. <laughs> in the end, you're going to wear one anyway. So, yeah. But in the end, they wrap you in a talus. They take the tzitzes off because... You know why they take the tzitzes off in the talus when a person I should have brought? I haven't I've just learned it. Because it's such torture for the body, the dead body, to be in the coffin and have a mitzvah that every second is a mitzvah and it can't do it. So we, we cut the tzitzes, the string, we, we, we put the person in the talus, but we cut the strings off because the mitzvah that bothers dead people more than anything else is the mitzvah of tzitzes because that's a mitzvah every second. And therefore, when you go to a graveyard to visit, to visit a relative, the halach is you have to put your tzitzes in your pockets. You have to put your tzitzes, you're not allowed to keep your tzitzes out. You have to put it inside your, inside your pants so that the mason, the dead people in the graveyard shouldn't see that you have tzitzes because it's going to make them feel bad that the human being every second get a mitzvah and they can't. And there you are. The dead people want to wear tzitzes and the live ones don't. Something's wrong. Something's a little bit wrong. If the dead guys want to wear it, they're not even here anymore and we don't. So in the end, you're going to have to wear it anyway. Had a big, just on this, on this line, there's this guy that gives me, I go to the mikvah. So a mikvah's chassidish a thing. I'm, I'm not chassidish. Right? There's one guy that always gives me problems and he's, he's, like, he's like not into mikvah at all. So he's like, oh, you know, you went to the mikvah, and he makes fun, whatever, I, whatever, I, he makes fun of me. So one day I just got fed up with him. And I'm like, 
What, you don't go to the mikvah? He goes, no, I don't go to the mikvah. No, this guy doesn't go to the mikvah. I only go Erev Yom Kippur. I'm like, let me tell you something. You want to make fun of me all you want, but the last place you're going to be before they put you in the ground is the mikvah. Because a dead body, they, they do a tahara, they put in the mikvah. So I'm like, you better make friends with the mikvah, because you give me a hard time with the mikvah. You better make friends with the mikvah before you go, because that's the last thing. The last thing you are is in a mikvah and wearing a towel. Why do you have to wait till you're dead for that? Yeah, so it's very important. Every Rosh Hashanah, you have to go to the mikvah. There's nothing to talk about. And, and, and if you can, if you have a mikvah near you, you should go to the mikvah before shofar blowing. Instead of going out those 20 minutes and getting to eat, you should go. It's a very big thing. It's a big thing to go to the mikvah before they blow the shofar. And if you, if you can't go those 20 minutes before they blow the shofar, then you should go Rosh Hashanah in the morning. But you should go every Rosh Hashanah and you have to go every Yom Kippur. Very, very important that a person goes to the mikvah. Very important. Really, every Friday, every Friday. A lot of guys in this year, you should know a lot of guys, not, not, not the guys now, but from when I started this year, one of the things that most of the guys in my year took on is to go every Friday for Shabbos to the mikvah. You feel like a different person on Shabbos. You feel like a different person. It, it cleanses you. There's nothing to talk about. A mikvah has an unbelievable power. I don't know if you were here, but Rabbi Shani spoke about Rabbi Shani, who's a very big makubal. So there was this guy who came to Israel who was, a, um, who was able to uh, see things, uh, black magic. He was able to see things. So he was showing off to everybody that you could give him any object and he would tell you, he tells the story all the time, he would tell you who had that object before you. So people would come and they'd come with a silver cup and he would pick it up and say, this came from your grandmother who came from Germany and before her it came, this, this, this cup was made in, in 1451 in the Spanish Inquisition and he was on target every single time. He used black magic, whatever it was. He was amazing. Rav Shani was in this crowd where this guy was showing and all the Israelis were like freaking out. So he had a ring from his grandmother. What he did is he took the ring before he came to this whole display and he put it in a mikvah. And then he came to this guy and he said, and the guy, he was able to, he was going to show off to everyone. The rabbi, come here rabbi, I'll tell you. He says, I have a ring. Could you tell me who wore this ring? He picks it up. He's like, this ring was just made. It's brand new. Rabbi Shani says, brand new. What are you talking about, brand new? Look at it. Look brand new to you? He's like, no, it looks very worn out, but, but it doesn't seem like anybody ever wore it. And he got up there and he was like, I don't know why, everybody, but I cannot get a reading on this ring. Rabbi Shani turned around. They almost killed him. Shani, he almost got killed in this thing. He turned around. Now, you have to remember, this guy came with all his hoodlums, right? And this was, you have to pay $30 to see Houdini, whatever he was, I don't know what he's called, whatever his name was, right? So, so Rav Shani turned around because they were not religious Israelis, and he turned around and he screamed out loud. And he's rich. You know why he doesn't know where this ring is? Because this ring was in the mikvah. And the mikvah cleans away, the, the dark side can't see anything when something's in a mikvah. And all you women that are here, this is what you need to do. You need to have Taras and Mishpacha and you need to go to the mikvah and he's screaming mikvah and they carried him out of there. They almost killed him. They almost stoned him, whatever it was. But the bottom line was he took that ring, he put it in the mikvah, it lost all its readings because the mikvah is matire. Mikvah cleanses a person from all the tumma. It's a very, very big thing and that's why, you know, oh, I don't like to go to the mikvah, I don't like to get undressed. The Yitzhah has all these different ideas. Okay, so go in, there's nobody there. You can always find a time that there's nobody there, you know? The same guy that has a locker room, he's in the J and he's working out, he's in a locker room, he takes a shower, there's 900 people there when he takes a the shower, he has no problem, 
All of a sudden, the mikvah, he's like scared. Ooh, someone might see me. You know, the same person. Why? Because it's the Yetzirah. Yetzirah tells you not to witness. The Yetzirah tells you not to go to the mikvah. But I'm telling you that the only way it's going to work is like, okay, next year, Rabbi, I'll go to the mikvah. Is this Friday? Go to the mikvah. You have to cut the wood. You don't cut the wood after the makshava. Nothing's going to get done. You have to do something about it. Okay. So, um, I expect everyone to be wearing tzitzes next week when I ask. For your good, it's not for my good. I wear tzitzes. I don't need, I, I wear them. It's for your good. It's the easiest mitzvah. So, I want to tell you two fast stories. A lot of the guys here have heard it. Some of the guys have not heard it. But I think that it's a very important story to say. Um, I don't know if we're going to have time for those story, both of those stories. Maybe I'll say one this week, one next week. I think I'll tell the stories of the three neshamas this week. But I want to read you something. <clears throat> this is a, a new book that I'm telling you not to read. Um, called The Noyim Elimelech. The Noyim Elimelech is not a new book. It's written by Rebbe Elimelech, um, who is a very big tzaddik, Melizinz. But, 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 it's written in Hebrew and it's totally not understandable. Most people can't understand it. Even Gedolim can't understand it. Somebody came along, he translated some verses in The Noyim Elimelech. Um, even this book is almost impossible to understand. But there are some stories... This just came out, and there are some stories in here that are um, very, very, very major. There's one story I'd like to read you, which I read the girls last week, but I didn't read the boys. And I think it's very important, because I think one of the things that we need to work on very much is um, appreciation of family. And um, as this week's Pasha, Atem Nitzavam Hayayim, Mashabenu, right? When he was, he was dying, he called Klaistro together, and Nitzavam always comes out Right, Yitzhak Mayelech always comes out before Rosh Hashanah, and Takan Rosh Hashanah it says all of the world stands in front of Hashem. Atem Yitzhak Mayelech, Kulchem, all of you, Uznei Hashem Alekechem, Roshechem, Shiftechem, Ziknechem, the heads, the Shivatim, the older people, the 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 children, the women, the guy who cuts down the trees, everybody on Rosh Hashanah, all the Jewish nation, we're all one on Rosh Hashanah. We all stand in front of a Kodesh Baruch Hu as one. So, very important. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, very important altogether in Judaism, it's really, I wanted to talk about it tonight, I'll talk about it next week, is, is, is this, the thing of Malchus, and a Malchus, you can't have a kingdom if you don't have people. So the whole thing on Rosh Hashanah, is we talk about Malchus, Hashem is the king, then we talk about Zechreinus, remembering, and, Shef, and Shefer, we start with Malchus, and I'm, next week I'm going to explain to you the secrets behind what Malchus is, that's right before Rosh Hashanah, you need to understand that. But it's very important, our Ben Adam Lechavero, and part of our Ben Al-Khaveru is family, and part of our Ben Al-Khaveru is our parents, and Kibbut of Aim, which is Amayn Yericha and Yemecha. So you come up Rosh Hashanah, you want to have a long life, you want to live another year. Hashem tells you, you, don't even, you, have, a, you have a freebie here. If you do Kibbut of Aim, Amayn Yericha and Yemecha, you're going to have a good year, you're going to live long. So I want to read you a story, a little bit scary, from Rav Elimelech Melazinsk. He says the following. He says, when Rav Elimelech was young, he had a very close friend, who was a very, very, very big tzaddik. This young man got married, had a child, and right after he had this child, he became ill. And it was very clear that he was going to die. He wasn't going to be able to come out of this illness. So the young Rebbe Elimelech at that time went to visit his friend and found his friend was crying. He was on his deathbed and his friend was crying. So the Rebbe asked him, why are you crying? And he said, I just, gave, I just had a baby, he's just a year old, and I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die. Who is going to take care of my child? So, the Rebbe said, Rebbe Elimelech said, that, he said, I'll make you a deal. I'll take care of your son 
until his wedding. I'll get him married off on the condition that after you die, you come back to me from the next world. And you tell me what's going on. We shake hands. I take care of your son. You're not coming back to tell me what's going on. I can't take care of your son. They shook hands. And they made a deal. The minute he di- when he dies, he's coming back. And then Melch Mel said, I'll take care of his kid. Okay. The young man passed away, and the Rebbe kept his promise. He raised a child. He taught him Torah. When the time came, he set him up a match. And this boy, who had no father, who the Rebbe Melch was bringing up, was now going to the Chuppah to get married. Who was the Masada Kedushin? Rebbe Melch. Right? The Naim Ali Melch. Okay. Everybody's gathered. They're waiting for the Masada Kedushin. He don't show up. Naimali Melech doesn't show up. One hour, two hours, three hours. What's going on? So they waited until it became embarrassing. He still didn't show up. Finally, they went to find him. When they came to his house, they found that the door was locked. They looked through the keyhole, and they saw that the rebel was sitting at a table, and he was smiling, and he was meditating, and they didn't want to bother him, so they waited. Finally, the rebel showed up five hours later. They made the wedding, and he's sitting by the Sauda. And his, his Hasidim asked him, well, what happened? Where were you for the, for the last five hours? You know, it's not like the Rebbe to come late, make the Chassan and Kala wait. What happened? So he said, maybe you know, maybe you remember that the Chassan's father and me were very good friends. And before he passed away, we made a deal that I would, that he would tell me about his judgment in the next world. And I would bring up his son to the wedding. So now it came time for payoff. I was coming to the chuppah to marry off his son. And now I did mine. Now he had to do his. And I closed my eyes and I told my friend, now's your chance. you got to come to me from the other world. And you have to tell me what's going on. So this is written in the Noyam Elimelech. And this is, this is MS. So I know they made a movie about a guy who came and went up to the other world. I don't know. I don't know what the deal with that is. But this is from the Noyam Elimelech, Kedish Kedoshim. And this is what is written. So this is what the man, this is the, the man who died, this is what he said. And he was a tzaddik, who didn't do any Averis, who died young. We have to understand who we're talking about here. So when I passed away, I felt no pain. I felt though I was asleep. While they put me in the mikvah and they purified my body, I tried to get up and chase them away, but I couldn't. It felt like a dream. When I was buried in the grave, and the grave was filled and the mourners left, I got up and imagined I was still alive. I was surprised to be in a cemetery, and I wanted to go home. But I could not find the way out. I climbed over the fence. I climbed over the fence to search for my way home. But I couldn't get any, I, I couldn't go, couldn't get anywhere. There was a small river. I tried to cross it, but the waters became violent and began to rush to and fro. I found some wood and attempted to use the planks to get across, but the water was too deep. To my utter dismay, it began to rain quite hard, and I found my clothes soaked. I had nowhere to turn. On one side stretched the cemetery wall, and on the other side the river. The sun had set, it was dark, and I yearned as never before just to be home. I was so distressed, I cried out to Hashem with anguish weeping to help me. Just then a giant appeared who was as tall as the heavens. He asked me why I was crying, and I told him how I wished to get home and couldn't find my way. He said I was a fool, thinking I was still alive in the world. You are dead, he said. And with that, he grabbed me, lifted me up, placing me before the heavenly court. Okay. And then, okay, I'll read, even I didn't read this to the girls because I didn't want to freak them out. They studied my case and found nothing wrong for which I would have to suffer in Gehenna. 
there was only one small blemish that prevented them from ruling that I should go to Gan Eden. They therefore ruled that I should sit in a chamber, in a room, the opening facing Gehenna and the other opening facing Gan Eden. By seeing and watching the suffering and pain of the wicked in Gehenna, my sin would be expunged. So it seems to be that even watching, he was a tzaddik, watching other people suffer, in the other world made him suffer. Okay. Anyway, he goes into what goes on up there. It's, not, it's really not important on Shabbos. They let him out, this and that. But in the end, he ended up that the reason they didn't let him into Gan was that he had promised that he was going to tell the Noim Elimelech right away that what was going on in the next world. He never went back to tell him. So he said, now that you called me and I came down and I told you what's, what's going on and I expressed everything. So now they're letting me to go, let me go into Gan Okay, and that's the story. It's a little bit longer. Exactly what happened in Gan whatever. Okay, that's, it's not important. What's important in this story to me was that when a person dies, the only thing you want to do is go home. The person, the dead person, all he wants to do is go home. This was a tzaddik. He didn't say, I want to go to Shemayim. He didn't say, I want to go to Ganeiden. He didn't say, we want Mashiach. He didn't say, take me to the Koso. Intrinsically, in the soul of the person is the, is the, is the need and the will to go home. And so many of us, not anyone here, but so many youngsters and people, all we want to do is to get away from home. We're running to the cemetery. We're running away from home. We're running to the cemetery that when we finally, after 120 years, leave this world, the only place we want to do is run back. It's like a craziness. We want to run away so that when we die, we want to run back. Which, which brings me, and this is what I told the girls last week. I was, I was like, if that's what a person wants... When they're dead, is, is, I just want to go home. If you really, really get into your own psyche and get rid of everything, it's really what a person wants in this world. I don't want to get into trouble with therapists. Sometimes I do. But there's no better therapist. And, and I know this might hurt a lot of people, and a lot of people are going to tell me afterwards, it's because you had a good relationship with your parents, that's why you could talk like that. Maybe, maybe. Maybe that is. Maybe, maybe I don't understand. But from, from the last 32 years of teaching and, and watching, I think that every, every person in the world, and we're not all lucky enough to get this, we all want a slap on the back and a like, kid, you're doing good from our parents more than anyone else. I don't care if a Rebbe tells a student, I love you and you're great, or a therapist says you're great, or you're, anyone in this world tells you you're great. There's no one more important to a person to hear that they're doing well and that they're great and that they're loved. There's nobody more important in the world than from a person's parents. And when you shed away everything else in life, there's nothing, as much as a guy says, I hate my father, I hate my mother, deep, deep, deep down, if you peel all the coverings of the onion, the co- all down, the bottom line is, I don't know what you hate or what you don't hate, but you wish that you loved your parents, and you wish that you knew that your parents loved you, because that is the shayrish, that is the that is the core of every single person. Some of us, we can't; they just don't they just don't know how to show us emotion, and that we don't have that relationship. But that's the relationship that you're getting from your parents. But what about you as a parent? There, there's no excuse. So I'm not talking to you, everyone in this room, about your relationship with your parents, because some of your parents, they're just not emotional. They're just not going to tell you how good you're doing. 
some of us. Some of us have smart parents, and they do tell us what they think of us and, and how to approve and that we love you and no matter what, we're there for you. And, and everyone asks me, like, in, in care of what's the most important thing? The most important thing is that the child knows your parents love you. No matter how bad I am, no matter what I do, I need to know that you love me because, you know what, one day I'm going to change, and we all are going to change, and we all want to change. But if that door is closed, and you know what, the first door you look for is your parents' door. The first, you know, I'm an old-timer. And, you know, when I used to watch TV... In the old days, black and white TV, when you had to actually get up to change the channel, <laughs> could you imagine such a thing? I think that yeshivas, instead of telling kids that you're not allowed to have a television in the house, should make it mandatory you're allowed to have a tell. You have to have a television, but it can't have a remote. Because in our generation, a kid would rather not watch television than get up and change the channel. So it would work. It would definitely work. Everything today is automatic. You don't have to do anything. But in my days, you know, you had to get up and actually change the channel. There were six channels to get up and change the channel. And, of course, that plastic knob always broke, so you had to have a pliers to change the channel, whatever. <laughs> Whoever lives, whoever's in their 50s knows exactly what I'm talking about. So, you know, that was... That, so, on, so on television, and I never understood this as a kid. On television, Lahav, though, you're not supposed to talk about television, but just because I never... Baruch Hashem, I was never in war, so I never saw it. But if you ask anyone who was in war, we'll tell you that that the last breath of a dying soldier, he says, Mommy. And in all the war pictures that I used to watch, while guys were dying in these war pictures, they would be screaming, Mommy. That, you know, it was, of course, actors, you know. Ma, ma, mommy. Right? They took a cigarette. That was also, I never understood that. It's like, give me a cigarette. The guy's dying. Like, he needs a cigarette, right? Whatever. But, but they always scream, Mommy. And... Mahavdu, you should never know from this. If you go to a hospital where there are old people who are in pain or they're half here, they're half not there, they're always screaming, Mama. They're not screaming, My best friend when I was in the teens! My posse, my guys, you know, the guys I hung out with! No, they're not screaming in their pain in the hospital, Alan! Mark! You know, Seth! Jay! They're screaming, Mommy. When they're in pain, they're screaming, Mommy. Kids are screaming mommy when they're in pain. When kids are dying in the street, they're screaming mommy. I've seen it. I've seen kids on drugs totally out of this world, leaving this world, shaking and vibrating, and all they're screaming is mommy. The same kid that doesn't talk to their mother, that ran away, that's on the street, that's in their drugs, that's in their pain, in the, mo- in the moment of pain, in the moment of struggling with, between here and death, right? All they're saying is, where's my mother? Well, what do you mean, where's your mother? Where's your posse? Where's your chevra? Where's your friends? Where all the, where, what, are, what are you asking? Where's your mother? You don't talk to your mother. You tell your mother, like, hey, my friends are my life, not you. You know, your old mom. I have nothing to do with my parents. My friends are my life. But when you're sick, you're leaving this world, you're in pain, you're screaming, ma! I've seen it live, movies, you name it. In hospitals, on the street, you name it. The, 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 the toughest football player. The toughest guy, right? When he wins, right? Ma! That's what he's screaming. My mother's in the seventh row. Ma, look what I got! What do you mean? What about your whole chevra? The whole gang that you hang out with? What do you mean? What about Charles and you know and, and, and you and all these guys? Like, why are you screaming to them and trying to in the belt? You know, the the, the 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 boxers. They're bleeding. Their eyes are swollen shut. They're holding the welterweight. Ma, look what I got! What do you mean, ma? What about all the good trainers? The bottom line is, you see from the Noyim Eli Melech, that family, I want to go home. But even after you're dead, you want to go home. Is that scary? This blew me away. 
After you're dead, you want to go home. So why are you running away from home? You got kids. You're married. You got kids. What are you so busy with your friends playing poker? What are you doing? What are you running away from them? They need their fathers. They need their mothers. What are you busy all day? In the end, that's all they have. And I want you to know that if you want healthy kids and you want kids that are going to grow up healthy and grow with their Hashem, they need to know that their parents are behind them no matter what. Parents can tell them when they're wrong, but I love you. You can love someone. This is a chiddush for our generation. I don't think they get it. You can love someone that's wrong, by the way. You don't always have to be right to be loved. You can love someone that's wrong. Your kids can be wrong. Your wife can be wrong. And you can love someone that's wrong. Because guess what? If you can't love someone that's wrong, then God really don't love us. Because we do a lot of averis. And we call them avinu malkeinu. Why do you get up on, 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 on Seriously Made Shuvah and you call Hashem Avinu? Right? Why do you call him Avinu? Why don't you call him your buddy? Achenu. You know? Rei, my friend. my bu- Why do you call him Avinu? Because the relationship of a child and a parent is the most important relationship. So in the Zayar, it calls the Shechina our mother. And, and, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Yudke Vavke, is called Avinu. Why not our friends? And the answer is, that when it comes down to it, that is the relationship. So, so again, those of us in this room that can better our relationship with our parents, do it. Because it's the best thing, it's the better than any therapist, therapy, drugs, medicine, Prozac, anything that's getting out of depression. If you, can, if you can make a relationship with your parents, there's nothing like telling a parent that you love them. Don't wait till they're in the box. Every time you go to a Levi, you see the same scene. All the kids standing by the box, Please forgive me. Please be Michael me. Screaming, crying, yelling. Please be Michael me. The person in the box is dead. Ask him, Erev Rosh Hashanah, go home. You can hug your mother. You can feel her skin. You can get a kiss. You can get a hug. You got to wait till Chatham she's in the box and she can't feel anything. And, and tell her you're sorry when she's dead. Tell her you're sorry when you're alive. She might even give you a hug and tell you I'm sorry too. You might even have a discussion. You can't do that at a Leviah. Don't wait till it's too late. We will wait till it's too late. Bakhashama Makaina, I only see it outside. We're walking with the stove. Everyone's running. Please forgive me, please forgive me. What? That's too late. Now's the time. Everybody Shoshana. My, my father, Al Bashalam, was a Yekka, born in Germany. The Germans have a very nice minig. Maybe we should take up this minig. It's a beautiful minig. The Germans have a minig. I think they still do it in, in Broyers today. That every child writes a Rosh Hashanah letter to their parents. I have from my father Rosh Hashanah letter that he wrote to his parents when he was 12 years old. And in that letter, it was interesting, he wrote about his love for Eretz Yisrael, which, we, which came out much later with my father. And, and, and could you imagine a parent sitting by a Rosh Hashanah table and getting, instead of a Rosh Hashanah card from the bank and from some charities, right? And you have five kids and you get five letters from each kid. Rosh Hashanah, I'm sorry, I love you, Tati. Uh, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for that. And, and, and thanking him. It's so beautiful. Family is so beautiful, but you have to use it. Rosh Hashanah is a time when the family gets together. Good time to write a nice, 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 beautiful letter to your parents. You don't have to cry in front of them. You can write it. You can write your words. You can write it slow. You can write it on, on your on your computer. You can you can write it. I, I wouldn't write it on a computer. I think it's extremely not personal. I would I would write a handwritten letter. And my father made pictures. It was very interesting. But I think it's a very good minig for parents. Tell your children, I want a letter from you. 
I want a Rosh Hashanah letter. Write in there your wishes for Klai Yisrael, for our family, for, for you know, write, 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 me a, write me a letter. It's a very, very beautiful thing. It's very, very important. Family is very, very important on Rosh Hashanah. It's important you want to keep your parents. If your parents aren't important to you, when God makes a cheshbon, guys, on Rosh Hashanah, sometimes a person's supposed to die, and God doesn't let them die because of the effect that that death will have on other people. So even though that person is supposed to die, doesn't deserve to live, but being that it would destroy his children, and his children are very close to him, and they're doing Hashem's work, and it would, it would stop them from doing Hashem's work, so that saves the person and gives them extra life because of the unity of the family. But if nobody gets along anyway, so who cares? So many times our relationships, without us even knowing, saves ourselves sometimes, and sometimes saves, saves family members. So it's a very big time, Rosh Hashanah, to, to, to make changes and to and, and, and from this Noim Ali Melech which is very very scary is that don't wait till you're in the graveyard to decide you want to go home it's too late you see they don't let you go home anyway they build rivers and walls and they, 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 they take you up to Shemayim so I, I, th- I think we're all standing together Klai Yisrael standing together today in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. you should all have Mitzvah next week we're going to I, I didn't even get to what I wanted to do today, but I think next week we're going to talk about Malchus. We're going to talk about Hilchus Tshuva, what things you can do Tshuva, what things you can't do Tshuva on. And um, we should have Ksivach Simetayva. And uh, everyone who doesn't have tzitzis, it would be a very big thing. If you don't go out there tonight and get a free pair of tzitzis, means you don't care. And then I feel very bad that I spoke about it, because on Rosh Hashanah, they're going to say, Wallerstein spoke about it, you were at that shear, and you didn't do anything about it. So now you're going to be judged for it. So I sort of messed you all up tonight, and everyone who's going to watch my share. Because whoever doesn't wear tzitzis, you're going to be in trouble. So Baruch Hashem, I got you all in trouble. Make sure you don't get into trouble. It's a very easy mitzvah. You know what? If you just want to wear it during the day, you don't want to wear it at night, it's also fine. You can do that. You can just wear it during the day. That's fine. So if you don't want to wear it at night, I understand it doesn't go with your pajamas. Everyone should have a good week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.